Well, hi, everybody. Brian Sussman here. It's The Brian Sussman Show. Thank you for joining me. We are into a long series entitled Weaponizing the Climate. So my first episode was Brian Sussman Show, episode 154. Yesterday, you heard episode 155, and we continue. So this will be part three of this ongoing series, and I'm so glad you're here. This is super important stuff. It's critical that you understand what's happening regarding the climate debate, the current climate debate. It's very important that you realize the genesis of this debate, which goes back 150 years, and we're going to talk about that in this episode. It's very important that you understand the plans that are in place to affect life on planet Earth as we know it. Uh, this is all this is all well verified. This is incredibly well sourced. I talked a lot about it in my books from 2010 and 2012, Climategate and Eco-Tyranny. There's going to be an upcoming book on this. So please spread the word about this podcast. You can find out more about me at briansussman.com. Also, my Instagram page, if you'd like a daily dose of inspiration, it's strictly inspiration, no politics. Uh, we're just talking about you and your heart condition that needs God as a, as a savior. So that's at Brian Sussman show on Instagram, Brian Sussman show. Let me go, let me pick up where we left off yesterday. This entire climate debate, the modern day climate debate has its origins in the 1800s. Now, stay with me here because this is super important. I'm going to begin with a character named Karl Marx. He was a philosopher. He was an odd sort of guy. He didn't have a lot of friends, but his mind never stopped. And he was very angry. What was he angry at? More, more than anything, Karl Marx was angry at God. I will prove that in just a second. He was angry at God. Would it be a stretch to say he hated God? Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. He only lived for 65 years, but during that time, his twisted mind conceived and perfected an atrocious plot to infect the world with his philosophy, which he entitled Organized Collectivism. Organized Collectivism. It's also known as Communism. Some people call it Socialism. But at the end of the day, and in fact, there were some very prominent communists, and I'll talk about this in a bit, very prominent communists who have said over the years, uh, socialism leads to communism. So the, the first step to communism is socialism. Marx began his rebellion as a student at the University of Berlin, where he was strongly influenced by the philosophy of another radical thinker, George Hegel, George Hegel, H-E-G-E-L. Hegel held that Christianity had a negative effect on society and that a new religion built on scientific reason was needed. Marx was so taken by this Hegel that he joined a group at the University of Berlin known as the Young Hegelians, and their goal was straightforward. No, I'm serious about this. Their initial goal was straightforward. Liquidate Christianity. Liquidate it. Liquidate. That's destroy it. 
I mean, that's, that's destroying it to the molecular level. What was the young Hegelian's beef with Christianity, the church, with God, with Jesus? They were convinced it was a system of beliefs as opposed to a system of facts. Christianity proclaimed there was a single God, still does to this day. There's a single God who was very fond, or maybe I should speak in the present. There is a single God who is especially fond of the human race. And this God created heaven for the good and hell for those who decide not to be followers. In addition to these beliefs, uh, the Jews, because the Hegelians were not keen to that religion either, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Believed God made them in his image and told them to fill the earth and subdue it. So, in other words, the Hegelians, they said, you know, these Christians, and then look at the Jews, and you go back to their scriptures, and you go back to the, the very first book of the Bible, and people are told that they're made in God's image, and they're to fill the earth and subdue it, fill it with people, and take charge of the earth, and use it and utilize it for their own good. They didn't like that. They did not like that. They did not like the fact that humans have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and other every living thing that moves in the planet because we do. God's, God's entrusted with this, that to us. We're not supposed to rape, pillage, and plunder. We're not supposed to be reckless about it. We are supposed to be good stewards of this wonderful creation that God's given to us. And, and I think in large measure, humans have proven that they can do that. While conservative Bible scholars are convinced the original language in the verses that I just shared with you imply reasonable stewardship of the earth's magnificent resources, Hegel saw this verse as giving religious zealots license to overpopulate the planet and rape its assets. Hegel saw these verses as giving us authority we didn't have. And so the young Hegelians saw religion as a societal illness that could be cured through proper scientific reasoning and education. (laughs) Which is, isn't it interesting? If you're a Christian in China, right now there's a new season of this going on, I'm told. But it happens off and on. If you're a Christian in China, uh, you can get, if and you're, thought to be proselytizing, you know, sharing your faith, either verbally or by sharing a Bible, you can get a member of their police force to come up, literally write you a ticket, hand it to you, no judge, no jury, no nothing. You are now sentenced to re-education camp, prison. I have uh, two dear friends who um, one escaped from Iran because he became a Christian. He was put on a a hit list, a a mullah hit list right off the bat. He had to escape, leave his own country, leave his wife and family behind. Another friend of mine had to leave Afghanistan because he became a Christian. He was, the Taliban had him under house arrest for two years. They tried to beat Jesus out of him. His grandmother came to him and said, listen, they're about to kill you. You need to escape. So he left. He walked for for months to get to Turkey and then to Bulgaria to freedom. 
by the way, what happened to his grandmother? Uh, she was killed by her own family and dismembered. I don't mean like, you know, grandma, you don't have membership of this family anymore. I mean, her limbs cut off. That's the spirit of the young Hegelian group. That's the spirit of Karl Marx. Marxism in the, uh, in the, in the last century killed over 100 million people. And it's the same mindset today by these radical elites who are wearing suits and ties and have huge bank accounts and they fly on private jets into to Davos every year for their for the meet for the big meeting. These are the same people who have an agenda to change the way we live and depopulate the planet. Hegel also lectured that everything in the universe could be explained through his system of rational thinking known as the dialectical process. Now, this, this dialectical process was originally conceived by Greek philosophers. But Hegel's new version, which is held um, in high regard by you know, many progressives today, his new version of the process held that contradictions in nature do not harm one another, but instead lead to a higher level of development, particularly personal development. Hence, there was no need for religion because over time, the human mind will become greater and greater and greater, which is probably why the World Economic Forum is promoting, and this is all, I'll get to this later, they're promoting transhumanism. What do I mean by that? They mean implementing a chip into your brain to cause you or, or, or implementing stuff into your, into your veins to allow you to become a higher thinker. This is, this is frightening, but it's, it's the truth. And Marx would eventually take Hegel's dialectic theory and refine it for totally political purposes. So in 1841, Marx received a doctorate in philosophy. Let me just take a sip of coffee if you don't mind. <clears throat> mm, just like mother used to make. <clears throat> and I hated my mother's coffee. <laughs> it's an old line from my radio show. <laughs> Oh, mother, may she rest in peace. And I know she is, by the way. I know I have every confidence that she's, she's in heaven. Uh, the ancient Greek philosopher <clears throat> was Epicurus. In 1841, Marx received a doctorate in philosophy, and his thesis was on Epicurus. Uh, Epicurus was a philosopher, atheist. He taught that the physical world was all there was and all there ever would be. Epicurus believed the fundamental con con uh, constituents of the earth system were invisible, invisible bits of matter known as atoms. He was right about that. By Marx's time, Epicurus' theory of matter was known as materialism, and Marx was a true materialist. Now, you, you need to understand this materialist thing, because this is, th this is the heart and soul of, of the climate change agenda. Okay, so you have, to, what I'm about to say is super important. So if you need to just, you know, stop the recording for a moment and go do something and come back, this will only take a few minutes. 
but you have to hear this. In 1842, Karl Marx met Frederick Engels, and together the two began developing a campaign that was going to alter the course of the world. They held parallel views on materialism and dialectics, and even the abolition of a supreme being. They were both convinced that science was the ultimate path to a godlike, you know, small g, godlike superiority. And they held that, quote, if science can get to know all there is to know about matter, we will then know all there is to know about everything. Let me, I want to repeat that quote for you. So this is something that Frederick Engels actually wrote in a book from 1886 entitled Ludwig Feuerbach. But again, the quote is this, if science can get to know all there is to know about matter, matter is, you know, atoms and all the stuff that atom, it just the material world, not, not, the make, not the world between your ears, but the material world. If science can get to know all there is to know about matter, then we will know all there is to know about everything. You see, Karl Marx and Frederick Engel, Engels believed they could, they could be, and humans could be masters of the universe. But only certain humans. I'll get to that. So again, for Marx and Engels, matter, atoms, molecules, the unseen world. Um... Well, you know, because you can't see atoms, you can't see molecules, but they're physical. That was the alpha and omega of, of reality. No God, no faith, no belief system. It was actual stuff. Physical world. Matter provided the complete explanation for plants, animals, man, intelligence, planets, solar systems. Again, there was certainly no evolution. Certainly no wave of God's hand to bring all this into being. For them, the wave of, God, of, of God's hand was instead time. Time is the magic wand for these people. It was the magic wand for Marx and Engels that allowed all matter to come together to create the universe in which humans find themselves. And to codify their doctrine, Marx and Engels prescribed the three laws of matter. First one is the law of opposites. Second is the law of negation. Third is the law of transformation. I talk a lot about this in my, my books, uh, I, especially Climate Gate, but I talk about it also in Eco-Tyranny, and I'll talk about it in the next book as well because it's super important. So this is law of opposites, law of negation, law of transformation. Together, these planks provide the rationale for today's green agenda. The law of opposites. It's an extension of Hegel's work and supposedly illustrates how everything in existence is a combination of dialectics working in unity. For example, electricity is characterized by a positive and negative charge, right? We're talking about the law of opposites here, positive, negative charge. Atoms include protons and electrons, which are in contradictory force, but they work in unity. Even the human race is composed of opposite qualities, altruism, selfishness, cowardice, courage, Humility, pride, masculinity, femininity. To function properly, Marx believed that these opposite forces have to be kept in balance. If they're not, there's going to be discord. So the law of opposites demands humans must be kept in check. You see where we're going here? 
humans have to be kept in check because as the most advanced life form on the planet, humans can wreak the most havoc. Hence the need for a tightly regulated, often heavy-handed system of government. So the first law sees demagogues, strong men, as essential to effective, masterful governance. That's the law of opposites. They believe this. Then there's the law of negation. That adds a somewhat metaphysical component to Marxist theory. It provides a key pillar for today's environmentalists. You have to stay with me on this, folks. We can't get to weather manipulation and climate engineering and population control and all the rest without talking about this. It's very important. I'm the first guy to do this. And, and, and therefore, I, 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 I really have my mark on this space. And I'm, I'm very passionate about this. Because at the end of the day, what was the goal of, of Karl Marx and the young Hegelians? The liquidation of Christianity. Their goals can't be completed without wiping out Christianity. It's just like China does. It's just like the Soviet Union does. It's just like they're doing in Iran. It's just like they're doing in Afghanistan. It's just like they're doing in much of Africa right now. So stay with me on this. This is so important and I appreciate you for listening. The law of negation. This declares that all nature is constantly expanding through death. To support this, Engels created an awkward illustration using barley seed, which germinates via its own death or negation and then produces new plants. This concept seems clumsy, clumsy, I should say, when applied to the human race, but Engels rationalized it like this. Here's what he said. Out of this dynamic process of dying, the energy is released to expand and produce many more entities of the same kind. In other words, all species possess an inherent tendency to proliferate. However, Marx and Engels believed non-human species bear automatic mechanisms to properly manage such expansion and prevent their increases from growing out of control. But the extended family belonging to Homo sapiens are incapable of such self-regulations. In other words, they believe, you know, you, you damn humans, you're just going to overpopulate, you wreck the planet. That's how they saw it. Law of negation. Thus, negation casts mankind as an ever-consuming population bomb. We are the bomb that places the entire planet at risk. Now, this is so. This is the antithesis of what God God created the earth for us. He said, "Go, we populate it. I've given you all the resources necessary for life, for life abundant. And guess what? I'm giving you the resource for life eternal as well. It's all good. Have at it." They see us as as the enemy of the earth. Now, are there bad people who have done bad things to this planet? Absolutely. And I contend that the very ones who want to liquidate Christianity are the ones 
bringing the most harm to the planet. My gosh, every, you know, okay, you just if I could just get off script for a moment, have you have you looked at the Tesla automobile battery? Go online and look at some of the pictures of lithium mines in China. Talk about raping the planet. Oh my gosh. I'm going to give you one more and then we're going to wrap up this segment because I want to keep these all about 20 minutes. So we've talked about uh, the law of negation. The law of negation um, casts mankind as the ever-consuming population bomb, right? So there's the law of negation and then there's the third axiom and it's the most arrogant, the law of transformation. And that's what we're going to talk about in our very next episode. Please spread the word about these podcasts. I really appreciate that. They should be available on every platform. Uh, you can also listen to them at briansussman.com on my podcast page. For a daily dose of inspiration, please just go to at Brian Sussman Show on Instagram. And I appreciate you all so much. God bless your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.